Well, good morning to all of our, this is your last good morning to all of our New Hope family. Some of my favorite people, we say this often, but I just want to make sure that you know we've got people back in the infant room changing diapers so we can be in here. People playing with toddlers and pre-K. That is a ministry that Jesus did not give me, but I'm thankful for the people that he did kindergarten through fifth grade and next service our next gen we have people watching us live online that couldn't be here and people that will watch us later this week specifically from right here at Eunice Correctional Facility our brothers and sisters in Christ could you just give God praise and welcome all of them in all of those different areas let me make sure that you know real quick highlight for the day first of all if you've never been through next steps please feel free to join us uh, after our third service at about 12:40 in the student center for next steps also this week we are starting small groups today today is the launch of all of our small groups i am excited that you're excited i really am i'm ready i'm going to attend a couple of different small groups and and host one and i'm looking forward to all the relationships and connections that are going to be made through small groups and freedom groups if you haven't signed up sign up right over here today before you leave get involved don't get discouraged if yours is full just find another one small groups are not going away they are part of our dna okay this week we are wrapping up this series that we have been calling big church but i don't know if you caught at the end of this video or not pastor john had big church transition into his church we have been answering the question in this series why why is there a church why why new hope uh, whose church should this be and what kind of church should it be we've gone over all of these different aspects the first week i talked about the the enormity and the omnipotence of our God that we serve a big God and he can grow and build a big church in width and in depth so in number and in substance he is able to do both in the second week we talked about being a place of healing a place of refuge a people who have the ability to pray and offer refuge and healing and then last week we talked about being spirit-filled because you cannot be the church that Jesus is building if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can define that however you want to define it, but I highly recommend that you define it according to Scripture. Look at the Word of God and let the Word of God define for you what it means to be Filled with the Spirit because the Bible says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went out into the wilderness, came back, and began to accomplish God's will. So we need to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered. The experience that we have should affect the world around us. We should have influence where we are today. I want to read this scripture to you one more time. I'm going to share the abridged version in Matthew chapter 16, 
verse 18, Matthew 16, 18. Your notes are on the back of your bulletin, or you can open up your device and go to eunicechurch.com slash notes, or you can just go straight old school and use a pen and a piece of paper. Totally up to you. Our note this morning is that Jesus said in verse 18, on this rock. Now, I'm not leaving Peter out of the equation. I have preached on him for the last three weeks, okay? But the essence of this scripture is not who Jesus is talking to, but what Jesus is saying. On this rock, Petra, the foundational large stone that you can put your faith in. On this rock, I will build my church and the gate of hell shall not prevail. So I came today to preach this message about the church that prevails because if Jesus is building the church and the gate of hell is not prevailing, it means that the church should be. I think that sometimes we forget that as his people, his body of believers, the church that Jesus Christ is building, if we're not careful, we forget that we are a part of a prevailing move that cannot and will not be stopped. It is the church that Jesus is building and that church should be prevailing in the culture, community, and atmosphere in which it has been positioned. We have to remember that we are a church that is prevailing and at the same time, we also need to remember, although I'm not the guy that likes to blame things on the devil, okay? I, I think that too many people, too often, this is my personal thought, okay? So don't get mad. Um, well, you can't get mad. I don't really care. But I, don't, I don't personally believe um, that everything that's wrong in the world is the devil's fault. In fact, a lot of people that come to me over the years, I've noticed um, that a lot of people that come to me and, and say the devil did, it actually wasn't the presence of the devil that caused them, but it was actually the lack of discipline that caused them. And so a lot of people like to use the devil as an excuse to not have discipline in their lives. And that's not what I'm talking about. But at the same time, the Bible does say that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. So just as much as I believe that the church is a prevailing move that cannot be stopped, I still believe that it's up to you as to whether you're going to be a part of that move or not. So today, number one, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to engage in the battle. Engage in the battle. Instead of complaining about the strongholds, let's be a part of the solution that would tear them down. As a church, <clears throat> instead of pointing our finger at what is wrong, let's pray and be part of the solution for what God wants to use in his church to prevail and bring purpose back 
out of the problem. In fact, I'm just going to do it right now. And I want to encourage you, everybody in here, I'm not encouraging you to bow your head and close your eyes and listen to me pray. I'm encouraging you to speak into the atmosphere, intercede on behalf of this community, and pray. I don't, I'm not saying we're going to shout and scare people. I'm just saying we don't serve a God that is deaf, but he is not afraid to interpret all of our prayers all at the same time and something begins to shift in the heavenlies when the church in Jesus name begins to prevail in prayer so right now I'm going to begin in the name of Jesus with the church to break down the strongholds that we have just been complaining about come on let's pray father right now in the name of Jesus I thank you that you put a church in Eunice Louisiana and the surrounding areas God right now in Jesus name we break down the stronghold of methamphetamines. God, right now, we break down the stronghold of abuse of prescription pills and drugs that should not be in our veins. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the stronghold of alcoholism would begin the process of being broken down, that depression would have no place in the heart of the believer, that anxiety would perish even more quickly than it came, and praise would begin to rise. God, I don't pray that they would get caught. I pray that they would get saved in the name of Jesus. I pray that the stronghold of every issue that holds us back or hinders us from your will, every addiction, every bondage as we sang about this morning, I pray that the chains of freedom in the name of Jesus would begin to take the place of all the bondage that's been holding us back. God, I pray against the spirit of poverty, the mentality that would hold us back. I pray that you would boost our economy and that you would put in position legislators that would correct the corruption and make the right laws so that Louisiana could once again rise to the surface as the one that everybody else had to look to to be able to purchase the right to even live in this land. God, I pray again that this nation would look to this state and ask what are they doing that is so significantly different than what they have done I pray that our economy and our laws would reflect a people I know that North Louisiana is ruled by the Southern Baptists and Central Louisiana is ruled by the Pentecostals and South Louisiana is ruled by Catholicism but I pray that the state of Louisiana would be his church that we would be ruled by the hand of of an almighty God that has his will and has his way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this state, city, and surrounding area as it is in heaven in Jesus' name. If you believe that, can you just give him praise? Doesn't it feel better to pray than to point a finger? Engage in the battle. Don't belly grub about strongholds break them you can't assume that your children are going to live for Jesus you can't assume that your spouse knows that they are loved you can't assume single person that your life in Christ is just going to work itself out 
You've got to do something different in order to make a difference. Parents, grandparents, you better know their passcode. You better know who's speaking into their lives and what's speaking into their lives. And if they get mad at you about their privacy, well, you don't trust me? No, dummy, I don't trust you. I don't trust myself without accountability. We need more accountability than we have access. And we need to know who they're following and who's following them. What messages they're sending. What pictures they're taking. Who they're sending them to and where they're going. They may get mad at you for a moment, but they will look back over the mileage and be thankful that God put an authority in their life that cared enough about them not to let them live for the devil. If the Bible said it'd be better for you to enter into the kingdom without a hand, how do you think he feels about a phone (laughs) leave that thing in the living room don't take it to the bedroom it is ruining this generation with no oversight and no accountability we've got to know what's going on in our homes and in the hearts of the people that live in them God gave you authority to walk in Don't assume. Take authority. Don't make excuses. Make an impact. Anybody can blame everything on the devil, can blame everything on society, but it takes a child of God under the unction of the Holy Spirit to have an encounter with God that would cause them to have an influence in the atmosphere that actually impacts eternity beyond that moment. I don't know if I can do this again in third service, so I need you to make sure that you carry this with you today and that you engage in the battle. Your spouse cannot afford for you to make excuses. Your children cannot afford for you to make excuses. This city cannot afford for you to make excuses. Your soul cannot afford for you to make excuses. Be filled with the power of the Most High God that would allow you to be a living example of His love and not an excuse for people to be led astray. It's who he is. Number one, engage in the battle. Number two, fight, but not to win. Fight for unity. Everybody wants to fight to win. The problem is, if you've ever been in pre-marriage or post-marriage advising sessions with my wife and I, we're just sharing things with you that somebody shared with us. The problem about fighting to win is that there's always a loser. So even when you win, if I beat her in an argument, which by the way is not difficult for me, (laughs) I win, good for me. I don't want my wife to be a loser. I don't want to beat my kids and win over my children. I want to fight for the unity that God created for me to have with him and the people that he has put in my life. See, when the devil can't distract you with the things that he used to distract you with, When he can't discourage you because you know that you can walk through a fire in the bottom of a valley as long as you're walking with Jesus. When he can't 
distract you or discourage you, he will find a way to divide you. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and it's not in your notes. You're going to have to write this one down and look at it for yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Make every effort to fight for unity. 1 Corinthians verse 1 Chapter 1, verse 10, this one's not in your notes either. I added it this morning. I appeal to you, Paul says, I appeal to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apparently, this part is important, not for us to just read over, but to stop and let read us. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus Christ. What? That you would live in harmony with each other and let there be no divisions in the church. Let there be no divisions in the church. Now, this is a Chris Fry interpretation. I can't give you this as a biblical absolute, but I know that Jesus said, behold and know that I go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't say it. I believe that the people that you don't get along with in the temporary on earth are going to be the people that you're going to have to live with for eternity. You better get it right now or they're going to be in your bedroom in heaven for all time. So I forgive and be forgiven. I love you, brother, and I hope you're in my street, but I don't want you in my house. So we're going to go ahead and handle it now so that we don't hand it off to the next generation. Let there be no division in the church. No division whatsoever. The psalmist writes this way, verse 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In other words, anything else is bad and ugly. And I don't want to pastor a bad, ugly church. Come on. I want to pastor a good and pleasant people that honor God and live in unity. Watch this. This may be one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Verse 2 of Psalm 133. It is like precious oil poured on the head and running down on the beard. The beard is of all things most holy, glorious, and biblical in the name of Jesus. It is like oil running down. Now, I know you don't understand this unless you have one of these beautiful pieces of facial glory. But whenever your beard gets itchy and it gets angry, it's uncomfortable. And you don't want to shave it off. You want to rip it off. But when you get some hot oil and you begin to put it in there and just let it settle, there is a calming that comes over your soul from the inside out. It is like the oil running down over the head of Aaron running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. The Levitical priest that's actually operating in the anointing for which he has been given authority down on the collar of his robe. In other words, your essence is his anointing. It's just who you are. People walk by you. My wife walks by me. Oh, boy, I say, come on, guess I'll get some more. Oh, man. It's just who we are. Your essence 
is his anointing. It's just all over you. And it leads people to you. I know a story of a pastor who took a church. It wasn't like this church. It was up north. Way past Shreveport. Okay? It was, I'm talking way up north. Okay? Uh, he took this church and his, and his testimony was when we took this church, we had to fight for unity unlike I've ever had to fight before because everything that we tried to just adjust, adapt, any change that we attempted to make, it was like pulling duct tape off the back of the head of a long-haired teenager. And I don't know if you've ever tried that. I made that mistake as a youth pastor. That's a tough moment, okay? But this is what his illustration was. From 2007 to 2010, all he did was deal with incessant complaining. Now, I want you to remember that complaining is clearly in Scripture defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as sin. And yet this young guy took a church. I'm not talking about me. I've been here. I wasn't here in 2007, 2010. I had to go through what he went through. I'd have gone back home, y'all. I'm just letting you know right now. It got so bad, so bad that one day when he was out front, his wife went to the restroom and a little senior saint in the church cornered her in the hallway and put her finger in her face and said, you and your husband are going to be the death of this church. You need to stop. And she began to just incessantly abuse her verbally. And that pastor said the same thing that I would say. Thank God I was not standing there. Because listen to me. You can come at me and talk about me, but you better keep my bride and my babies out of your mouth. If you got something to say, you better come say it to me. Because if you say it to them, I might go to jail and come back later. I just can't promise you what's going to happen. But this guy was obviously more sanctified than me. That's why God put him there and me here. Because we don't deal with those kinds of things. He instead decided to fast and pray. And a couple of weeks later, after he was no longer just infuriated and operating in personal wrath, because James 1.20 says that the wrath of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So when you react in anger, you automatically act outside of God's will for you and anyone that you acted that way with. So he took a deep breath. I don't know if he operated by the 48-hour rule or the 14-day rule, but he came up two weeks later, and he prophesied over his church. He said, one day, there will be so many eternally impactful things going on in this church. There will be so many positive people and ministries birthed in and out of this church that anybody that tries to rise up against it will be ushered out by the people who were already in it. Any wolf in sheep's clothing will stand out like a sore thumb that does not have the authority to stay. He said, and it came to pass, that church is now multi-site 
multi-thousands of people ministering and making a difference in the community and the area all around that state and even the U.S. Assemblies of God is calling that pastor and asking him, what have you done in that church? He said, we fought for unity and we stand in it. We make no time for negativity or room for excuses. Mark chapter 3 verse 25 says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The New Living Translation says it this way, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Now, I'm not telling you that we can't ever have a disagreement. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't bring your disagreement to the table. I'm saying that our disagreement when we don't fight to win, but we fight for unity. We fight together to find a solution and we present a united front to the congregation and the community. You can have a disagreement, but that disagreement should make you more diverse and dynamic. It should never cause division. In other words, I'm encouraging you today to take your problems to Jesus because Facebook can't fix them. You might just want to tattoo it. Jesus, you fix it. Right there on your thumb, before you hit send, just let the word of the Lord resonate back down in your soul. That Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, and anything else that you want to post and complain and point fingers and grovel on. It's time that the church get off of social media and get back in the streets where the difference can actually be made. It's not helpful to just be mad. Anybody can make a point behind a computer screen on social media. But it takes a spirit-filled child of God to make a difference that actually impacts eternity beyond this moment. Fight for unity. If it's not in love, don't let it stay. Let it go. I'd rather be a church contributor than a church critic. I'd rather build up the body of Christ than be one of the people responsible for breaking it down. And I can promise you, as long as God has positioned me as the shepherd of this house, we will fight for the unity of the Spirit. We will make every effort to live in harmony with one another so that we are a place that is good. We are a people that are good and pleasing to our Lord. Uh, our pastor in reference a few minutes ago took John Dickinson's quotation to our nation and he abridged it a little bit. You may recognize the first part. He said, um, united we stand, but divided you leave. <laughs> united we stand, divided. There's some great churches in this city that would love to mouth with you, <laughs> but it can't continue in this house. Because God's given us a vision. 
And we don't have all the resource, but we got plenty of reason. Come on, somebody. And it's who we are. And you can have a disagreement, but you cannot be divisive. Number three, let's endure, not exist. Let's endure, not exist. See, people that exist just take up space. But people that endure fill up space. What is the difference in existing and enduring? I think the best illustration that I have of endurance is probably a guy named Alan Cantwell. Alan Cantwell was a senior at LSU Shreveport. He was a center fielder at LSUS before most people even knew that they had a team. But they made a run that year that left a legacy for my freshman year that allowed us to go to the NAIA World Series. Alan Cantwell stayed that next year, and he was one of our assistant coaches. He was a graduate assistant as he was pursuing his master's. One of the things that I loved and hated about Alan Cantwell was his ability to endure. Now listen, I'm not talking about endure to the end, like, oh, I'm going to make it. Oh, oh, oxygen, come here, and somebody hold me up. I'm going to go. I ain't stopping. I'm going to get there. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about endurance. Now, listen, I am not an endurance guy. I'm like a sprint stop kind of a guy. You know what I mean? Like, ah, you know, that's why I played baseball. We got up every day, and we would run. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we would run distance. On Tuesday and Thursday, we would lift weights. You know, that irritated me because there is no point in baseball where I needed to know how to run a mile and a stinking half. There was no point. Like, can't we just run to first and stop like we're going to do in the game? Maybe second, ten times a year, third, maybe two or three times. No, son, you need to be able to go home to home. No, I don't. If I'm going home, I just hit it over the fence. I ain't sprinting jack. I'm going to be jogging, baby. Woo! <laughs> That's what I'm doing if I'm going home to home. But we ran distance. Alan Cantwell didn't even have to run. Oh, that we could have some people step up into positions that they don't even have to be in and lead the way. Alan didn't even have to run. He would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and coach would blow the whistle. Alan would take off. Hated Cantwell at 6 o'clock in the morning, man. Boom, there he goes. Now, here's the thing about him. Like, he could sprint and beat all of us. He could lift weights and beat all of us. He could run with endurance and beat all of us. Mile and a half, head of the pack. Here I am. All the not-so-small people in the back. I'm going to kill Cantwell if I ever grow up and be as strong as he is. I'm going to kick his tail. Don't tell him I said that, though, because he's way bigger than me. He just ran with endurance. See, I think that that's what the Scripture means when it says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Run the race of your life with endurance. Don't just exist. Endure. Lead the way in a way that would make other people have to work harder to catch up and to keep up with the God that is leading you. You. 
See, too many Christians are satisfied with just surviving, but you were created for so much more than just surviving. You are like one of my children. You're so much more inside of you than you even know. You can do it. Stop saying I can't. Stop saying I don't know how. Stop being afraid to answer the will of God and the call of God in that ministry that God has for you. See, I just believe that there are some missionaries sitting in this sanctuary right now. There are some mission trips inside of some people. There are some ministries that this church has not even thought of yet. There are some young people. See, you think that God is ministering to you, but he's not just ministering to you. He's ministering to you so that you can minister to your whole family and everybody that God puts in your path. There is more inside of you than you are currently giving God credit for being able to do. We have some visionaries in this house that can't even hardly sit still. There's so much stirring in them, but we're living by fear instead of living by faith. The difference between living by fear and living by faith is that people that live by fear only accomplish what they know and what they can see. But people who live by faith believe more in God than they do in what they know about their future. People that live by faith are not afraid of what they do not see. They are certain of it. They are sure of what they do. Their hope is an anchor for them and they believe more, not in what they can accomplish, but in who has called them to accomplish it. There are some extravagant offerings in this place that will make an eternal difference. We don't need your money, but God has given you the, well, I work hard, but he gave you the ability to work hard. He gave you the ability to conquer and to accomplish and the spirit of generosity so that you can build something bigger that will make a bigger difference because anybody Anybody can be a legend that the history books write about, but you want to leave a legacy that somebody else can carry into the next generation. There are some creative dreamers in this house that do not need the resource. They just need a reason. Let's stop complaining and contribute. Let's stop posting and start pleading the blood of Jesus as we prevail in prayer, engage in the battle, fight for unity, endure, don't exist. Let's not just live saved. Let's live called. Well, what is that? What does that mean? It means that you have a burden beyond yourself. You have a conviction to accomplish something that you don't even know how to accomplish. Let's not just live saved and be satisfied. Let's live called because I believe that we as God's people who Jesus put his name on, we are called to be a church that prevails. If the gate of hell cannot prevail against what Jesus has put his name on, then it means if his name is on us, then we should be prevailing. Father, right now, I pray that you would help us in this place. 
For all the followers of Jesus in this room right now, I pray that you would help us to engage in the battle. Let us not assume that our children will live for you. Let us not assume that our grandchildren. Lord, let us be more consumed with the things that you want to say and the things that you want to use us to do than we are our own feelings and desires, our own wants and fulfillment. God, let the greatest fulfillment we have in life is being used by you for somebody else. Fight for unity. The vision is not allowed to stay. It cannot. It will not. We will make every effort to live in the unity of the Holy Spirit in us. And God, help us to endure, not just to exist. Some of you in this room today, you've just been existing. Jesus' name is not on you. Or you're not confident in who he's called you to be because you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe you have, but you haven't walked with him on a daily basis. So your confidence is in the good works or the bad works instead of the one who saves you from both. If you're in this room right now and you don't want to just exist any longer, but you want to fix your eyes on Jesus, Surrender your life to Him. Confess Him as Lord. Receive the forgiveness of every area of your life where you've fallen short. With every head bowed and every eye closed and the church prevailing and intercessing in prayer right now. If that's you and you need to give your life to Jesus today or you need to give your life back to Jesus right now with nobody looking around, I need you to lift your hand.